That was the beginning. That brief, unemotional, very matter-of-fact colloquy between the scientist and the practitioner. A small cast of two characters. And that was the way it should have been. But I remember, I very clearly remember the entrance of character number three. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about you drive. Uh, and I hope that your cars are not about acting up in the meantime because they know what you did, but hopefully they're not giving you grief about it. Yeah, uh, that, that was that was annoying uh, for how much that car was like honking and everything. So I'm glad that we don't have to watch that episode anymore just so I can not hear honking. Well, <sighs> do you think it would have been better if it would have showed up like what was it the the the, the Jeep and Maximum Overdrive the half track that had the machine gun and you just heard it like do the Morse code with the horn where it was like, you know, beep 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 the entire time and everyone's like, "What's it saying?" Would you have preferred Morse code car or just I, I guess that might have been a little bit more engaging because then I would have been like, ah, what is it saying? And I'll try to look up the Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, that, that was that episode. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll reference it again at the end of the season when we get there um, in terms of, is it one of our top episodes? Is it one of our bottom episodes? I don't know. I guess we'll find out uh, at that point. Uh, what we're talking about this evening is um, <clears throat> season five, episode 15 of the long tomorrow. Um, it aired, uh, uh, January 10th, 1964. Number one song is still there. I said it again by Bobby Vinton. Number one film is still the sword and the stone, uh, day and day to have a couple things here. One, uh, the, the day this, this episode came out introducing the Beatles was released by Chicago's VJ records to get the jump on Capitol records release of meet the Beatles scheduled for January 20th. Capital obtained a restraining order against VJ on January 16th to prevent further sales. Although VJ would defy the order by releasing the album again on February 10th and spending nine weeks uh, with the second most popular selling album behind Capitol's number one seller. I appreciate that. That's so weird. I didn't know that uh, like multiple companies are trying to release what the exact same album. I don't know. Different title. I just, I do like, I do remember later on when uh, Pete best, uh, was trying to release his own thing. It said um, he released an album called uh, Best of the Beatles and people were trying to sue him. And he's like, no, look at the track listing. And it was songs I think either he did or covers because his last name is Best and he was part of the Beatles. So they couldn't, they really couldn't stop him. 
Nice, nice little loophole there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, here, I'm joined by my side man, greatest hits, you know, whatever. Anyway, so, yeah, I like that, like, uh, VJ was, like, introducing the Beatles whenever they knew the uh, Capitals was going to be, like, meet the Beatles, you know. And I just, I wish there was, like, a third company that would have been, like, say hello to the Beatles, like, whatever, you know, like, having these warring records out there. Yeah, I, that, that would have been pretty interesting. I, I, I just imagine, like, People having turf wars, <laughs> throwing down, like doing a, um, what is it? What's the, uh, where they have the razor or the, the switchblades? Um, uh, what's the musical that oh, they Oh, West Side Story. With? I like the show. Yeah, these the are Jets. West Side Story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are the introducing guys. These are the meets guys, you know, whatever. The meets guys? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, so um, these are the meets men. I, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, so um, the day after. This episode came out, uh, so uh, that'd be the 11th. Uh, the United States Surgeon General Luther Leonidas Terry, that guy has three first names, and one of them is from 300, weird, uh, it released um, the report of a committee of experts and made the first American governmental acknowledgement that smoking could be hazardous to one's health. That has no relation to the Twilight Zone whatsoever. No, I, this is definitely something that Rod never had a chance to read. Yeah, he's like this. This is this is the work of a hack. Now, um, yeah, but look at that sixty four, right? Like how, like, and we know now that like the science was there for quite a while, and and they weren't saying anything about it, right? So, yeah, and then considering as much as that we see smoking in these episodes, and how like it's not even like it was just everybody smoked, right? And this is the first time it's starting to be like, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe that's the thing because everybody, those rich voices that especially are lead in this episode, but maybe they don't live very long. I don't know. There, there might be a connection there. Yeah. As, as like probably like soon after that is a Marlboro man kills over from lung cancer. Yeah. The first one. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Welcome to tumor country. All right. So on the 12th, this is the last bit I have here. I like how this is written board. Jeff Bezos, American billionaire and computer scientist who founded amazon.com. Um, I, I like that. He's an American billionaire first and then computer scientist second. <laughs> That is kind of interesting. I don't know. If, I, I would be kind of pissed off, actually, if that was like how hey, I was put hey, down. I knew first. computers, and that got me the money. You know, whatever. So, yeah, one of the richest men in the existence of the world was born uh, two days after this episode aired. So that's all I have for uh, day and date. Yeah, I didn't have any uh, extra notes on day and date myself. So, yeah, let's get into uh, some cast and crew here. So our director on this episode is uh, Mr. Robert Flory. Yeah. Um, so he did two other episodes, um, Perchance to Dream and The Fever, which I, I, The Fever is a lot of fun. Yes. I I have not seen Perchance to Dream, though. You will like Perchance to Dream. It's uh, it's about a guy going to a psychiatrist saying, um, if I fall asleep, I'll die. And, and the guy's like, what are you talking about? And he goes through this whole thing about having these dreams where this like this woman keeps showing up and is like, uh, like basically like thrilling him like by like taking him on like roller coaster rides and like like enticing him and like and now like he's starting to see her like every time he closes his eyes and he believes that the next time he sees her he'll die and the the, the imagery in that's really trippy and a lot of fun um and the fever i mean you got a mechanical slot machine saying the word franklin uh taunting you know people that's a lot of fun too and with a uh awesome uh 
was like fall out of the window scene too. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, the 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 Twilight Zone standard of somebody jumping out a window, like uh, which we've not seen one of those recently. Come on, season five, get your act together. We need some window falls. I know what's um, yeah. going on here, but it's I, I, I do when thinking back on this episode, the Long Morrow. Um, and just tip my hand a little bit. It feels a lot like a season one episode for good and for bad. And then realizing that we got, um, the steady hand here, a flurry who did two good, uh, season one episodes that like part of that doesn't surprise me now. And now that I, you know, start thinking about it. Yeah. Then, uh, the only other credits I had for him, um, he did, uh, some outer, like an episode of outer limits and then a few episodes of, uh, the Alfred Hitchcock presents. So, and then uh, moving on to our writer, Mr. Rod Serling is back. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I keep on saying it. I don't know if he really needs any introduction. He is the uh, the mastermind behind the series. So and he's coming back again. We'll, we'll be talking about him in future episodes. <laughs> yeah, I, would hope, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and then into cast we go. We got Mr. Uh, Robert Lay Lan- Lansing. Yeah, Lansing. Uh, he plays Commander Douglas Stansfield, uh, episode of Star Trek, and an episode of Monsters. Uh, he did a bunch of other TV work, but those were the two things that stood out to me. So um, I have him here listed for a film that I think I've seen like the poster of. Uh, called, it's from 1959 called 4D-Man. Um, here's the, here's the, um, the, the quick pitch. The scientist discovers a formula enabling him to pass through solid surfaces, but he also rapidly ages which forces him to kill humans in order to reverse the aging process by absorbing his victim's energies. All right. So now this sounds like a trauma film. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds like the incredible melting man. Right. But like, I think, I think I've seen either I've seen parts of this, or I feel like maybe mystery science theater 3000s covered this. I can't recall if this, but it sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll check that out. Um, yeah. All right. That sounds pretty. That sounds pretty wild. I like the poster too. It looks. It looks ridiculous. So yeah, we'll have to check that out. I just. Uh, I don't so understand. Nice. I don't understand how the ability to face through matter is like. Oh man, this is pretty cool. Oh no, I'm aging. Oh man, I'm gonna go suck some energy out of that person. I'm good again. Like, there's a lot of questions I have about this. Yeah, I. I don't know. It. It, it might be a lot of fun. Who knows? Yeah. Um. But yeah. So uh, next we have a uh, Marriott. Uh, Hartley. Uh, she plays Sandra Horn. Uh, she did like five episodes of SVU. Uh, she was in the Brendan Fraser film Encino Man, and she is still working today. She's got some stuff in the uh, in the works right now. Yeah, so she yeah you're right. She's still working, uh, still with us. Uh, she uh, played the role of psychologist Doctor Carolyn Fields in an episode called Married in um, uh, the Incredible Hulk, in which she marries. Um, Bill Bixby's character, right? So she ends, she marries one half of the Hulk. Um, and this won her the Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Elite Actress in a Drama Series. I didn't know that there was Emmy Awards given to the Incredible Hulk. That is amazing. Yeah, it gives you all those people out there that appreciate high art. Um, there you go. There, you, now you can watch the Hulk because it won an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just listen to that sad piano music and realize that it actually is serious all right so yeah so you, you mentioned her current work yeah she is uh she has been a recurring character on um like a side character on the fox show 911 um so yeah she's like the mother of connie Britton's character which i don't know if she's still around or not whatever like the character but yeah still working that's awesome 
Yeah, good for her. And uh, yeah, I think out of our cast, she's uh, the only one that's still alive. So uh, keep on kicking. Um, well, so, I mean, she did go and spin animation for like 40 years. So she has some time left, you know. That's just- true. Oh, okay. Maybe it actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next we have uh, Edward Binns. Uh, he plays General Walters. On one other episode of The Twilight Zone, uh, I shot an arrow into the air, which I know that you absolutely love. Um, high phrase right yeah it's uh the title's great um yeah that's that's about it um yeah when i was just like the moment i was like oh what other oh he was in that one okay i guess we're good now yeah so and uh, he was also in uh 12 angry men and a bunch of other tv work uh that i didn't really know but you know he has a very big uh IMDb. So check, yeah. check it out if you want to dive a little bit uh, more into uh, Mr. Ben's career. And he was also in North by Northwest. So another Hitchcock connection there. So, but yeah, I shot over the air. Uh, moving on, who we have next? All right. So uh, George uh, McCready, uh, he plays uh, Dr. Bixler. Uh, 166 episodes of Peyton Place. This one keeps on coming back up. Uh, periodically um, through our discussions that so 166 episodes of that uh, series and then an uh, episode of night gallery. Yeah. So he actually was a night gallery, right? Um, he was in playoffs 90, which here uh, he played, uh, what was it? Um, and may, may of 60, he played the role of captain Richter in Serling's in the presence of mine enemies, the final telecast of the playhouse 90 series. So actually, he was in the last Playoffs 90 that happened to be written by Serling. So there's that. Also, this guy uh, has a distinct look. Um, he, in, in the 20s when he was in college, he sustained a permanent scar on his right cheek after being thrust through a windshield of a Ford Model T when the vehicle skid on an icy road and hit a telephone pole. Um, so I just think about that. Think about like the technology that's in place, a Model T and a telephone pole. Like, you know, rewind that. Maybe, you know, 10, 15 years earlier, neither one of those things would have been there for him to get hurt. Throw that out there. Um, so he uh, well, he was stitched up by a veterinarian, uh, but then caught scarlet fever during the ordeal. Uh, so the injury, along with his uh, highbrow and perfect diction, gave McCready the gothic look of an authoritarian or a villainous character. So by his own words, he would play heavies often. Um, I could see why like this one, like they actually gave him a chance to kind of be like, you know, just, just a scientist that didn't have intentions, but yeah, dude got thrown through like a windshield of a model team, hit a telephone pole, uh, got sewed up by like an animal surgeon and got scarlet fever that, you know, as you do. And he, I, I love the fact that he pulled the hat trick. He was in, uh, all three, uh, series that, um, Mr. Rod Serling had produced. So that's cool. Yeah, so there we go. Um, I just, I just thought his uh, his background was like, oh yeah, how'd you get that scar? Let me tell you. You know, like. <laughs> um, so next we have uh, William Swan. Uh, he plays the technician in this episode. Uh, he did a, a a small bit in the movie Magnum Force, which is amazing, and an episode of Johnny Midnight. Two episodes. Thank you very much. Oh, oh I'm um, so sorry. Yeah, uh, but I. It's nice that it finally came back. We haven't had Johnny Midnight come yeah, back. Yeah, I mean, as long long sufferers of the show will know that um, there's just every so often you see similar things pop up with people's backgrounds. And Hawaiian Eye has been the one 
That's a, like that Hawaiian detective series that no one has ever seen. And then Johnny Midnight, which I guess was, um, I've seen the intro to it like once. And it was a guy who was a detective, like, um, like a private eye that his office was above like, um, a theater and like New York. So like, he would be like, you know, you got that whole, like, it was a weird, it's supposed like a weird crowd thing. I, I, but I love the name Johnny Midnight. Like if I was to ever have like, you know, a midnight radio show. I guess I'd be called Johnny Midnight. But like, what time is it? It, it, play, it plays at seven in the evening. My name is Johnny Midnight. But that would be a great announcer name, right? Yeah, right. That that would fit right in there. It'd probably be like a crime noir. That would be pretty sweet. Yeah, join um, me for brunch on Sunday. My name is Johnny Midnight. <laughs> Johnny Midnight. Um, and then, yeah. That's it for my cast uh, notes. Uh, I don't know. Right? Yeah. There wasn't anybody else in this, really. Oh, there was a one other if you had him. Yeah, there's one other person. Like They just listed uh, Don Spruance as himself because this is Don Spruance as Don Spruance. I don't know who this is. Uh, only Twilight Zone appearance, 18 total credits. I just thought it was funny that he was listed like as himself. And also, sorry, uh, yeah, you, already, you just mentioned William Swan. So that's, yeah, that's who we got. Yeah, the Don Spruance, well, I, I was like, Oh, I, I don't know if that's worth mentioning because I'm I, like, where was this dude? Yeah, I don't know. It was just weird. I'm like, okay, great. He's here. Um, and then uh, Robert McCord was the glass box in this episode. No, that's not true. I thought he was the rocket. <laughs> As well. He was, he, was a, he was a rocket double. That's what that was. Yeah, that's all my cast notes. Um, okay. Yeah. So let, uh, let's certainly take it away. Uh, just heads up, everybody. This is one of those weird split uh, intros they do so often. So we get something at the beginning and then a little bit towards the middle of the episode. Uh, so the, the, the sound changes a little bit, but uh, take it away. It may be said with a degree of assurance that not everything that meets the eye is as it appears. Case in point, the scene you're watching. This is not a hospital, not a morgue, not a mausoleum, not an undertaker's parlor of the future. What it is, is the belly of a spaceship. It is en route to another planetary system, an incredible distance from the Earth. This is the crux of our story, a flight into space. It is also the story of the things that might happen to human beings who take a step beyond, unable to anticipate everything that might await them out there. Commander Douglas Stansfield, astronaut. A man about to embark on one of history's longest journeys. 40 years out into endless space and hopefully back again. This is the beginning. The first step toward man's longest leap into the unknown. Science has solved the mechanical details and now it's up to one human being to breathe life into blueprints and computers. To prove once and for all that man can live half a lifetime in the total void of outer space. 40 years alone in the unknown. This is Earth. Ahead lies a planetary system. The vast region in between is the twilight zone. So this is a little bit more, um, not what, not dowers, not the thing. Cause I don't think it's mean spirited, but it's a little bit more uh, subdued of an episode that we've had recently. Yeah. And it, it, it jumps back and forth for timelines and that too. I, I, there's a little bit something different going on here that we've seen. We haven't seen in the last, like probably like dozen episodes really. Yeah, I mean, it's just it. So this one has a little bit. It, it, you get the notion it's supposed to have a little bit more gravity to it, but uh, but yeah, like this is a rare episode where you got Serling's narration right off the start. We get a uh, um, we get this uh, interesting stock music and like the slow heartbeat behind him as we are uh, introduced to um, you know our, our, a dude in a box, uh, just you know in his uh, his skivvies, just sitting in this glass box, 
and it's a very um, from from a from a starting image of an episode. It, it just puts you immediately on the edge of like what's going on here. It's a really interesting way to start visually. Yeah, and it goes right into the narration too. So I thought that was interesting as well. We don't see anything that kind of plays out yet, and that happened in the last episode as well. We go right into the narration, which I found interesting. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so with this, like, so the glass box, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it's just uh interesting vibe to it. And then we see like very enclosed area, but I like the, uh, the calendar that we have over there, the one just rotates and it's, and it shows like, uh, was a month date and year. And it was like 1988. And I would have been like, I wrote the future. And then I wrote like, I didn't write this, but I was like 16 years after boxing was made illegal with humans. And then robots now fight each other. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. It, we just need like a uh, a shot of a newspaper sitting on the uh, the counter, like to tell like all the happenings and uh, the new future. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we get Stansfield. We find out that he's the man in the box. Um, uh, you know, big, big Allison Chains fan right there, right? So uh, he uh, his voiceovers going on, and I mentioned this earlier about like cigarettes being problematic, but my God, Robert Lansing's voice, I could just just take me away. I could listen to him talk forever. Just smooth. Obviously somebody else thought so too, because he talks quite a bit in this episode. Um, he's he's, he's basically telling us the whole journey that he's been on. Um, and he is our, he's our guide the entire time. Yeah. So we get this flashback to like the initials, like the origins of this mission that he's now on. Uh, did you notice how like, uh, Dr. Bixler is like, please be comfortable. And then he's like, basically like, Oh, I was just making like making that statement because there's actually no seats, but I'm like, just be like comfortable with this conversation or whatever he says. And then he immediately sits down in a chair. Did you notice that? Like there are no chairs except for mine. (laughs) Yeah. You be comfortable. This is my temporary office. I have all these posters. But no chairs. Yeah, I have all the, <laughs> I have all these star maps hanging, uh, like they're um, I don't know posters that, like in an FYE, just kind of hanging, the suspended from the air, not against a wall. Uh, we we have fish and wire money, but not money for two chairs. This yeah, is they NASA. blew the budget at uh, uh, Kinkos. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how he's like, be comfortable. Like as I mean, you can't sit down. I will now sit down. <laughs> I, at first, I thought that was like a continuity error, and I'm like, really? And I'm like, no, pizza's sitting in a chair now. That's weird to me. It felt more like a power play thing to me. Like, yeah. Like it, yeah. It's like, yeah, new interviewee, like, come in here and relax while I uh, um, I grill you. Like, it would have been great if Stansfield would have, like, just sat down, like, cross-legged on the floor and be like, okay. And he's like, <laughs> and then, 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 then Bixler sits down in the chair and looks down at him. Like, that's the power move. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> want him to be like, hey, uh, you know, hey, don't, don't get comfortable because uh, we're going to put you in, um, we're going to put you in a box for forty years. So, you know, just tuck in. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, and I, I like there's, uh, I like how he tells him like pretty much that he's been, uh, like he's being watched too. I like that little line too. Like, oh yeah, people have been observing you. He's like, yeah, kind of noticed that. Like, what, what, what are you doing, man? Like. <laughs> You can't clue this dude in. It's it's like it, you're running a scouting report, but it the dude noticed you doing it, so you weren't that sneaky. Like someone runs up with like a measuring tape and gets his proportions. 
<laughs> yeah, right. It's like <laughs> measuring up for, uh, for uh, I don't know, a clear box. And then, and then someone runs up with a really tiny pair of underwear and just like puts it up like like against like his back just to see if it like would line up. And he's like, "What are you doing?" It's like it's not important. It's not important. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. That was really strange to me. I don't like how it was put. If somebody would have told me that, especially if I have never met this dude before, I wouldn't kind of been like, "So there's some major plot point here to why you guys have been watching me, and I need to know." Like, I don't know now. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so like, we get, we, but we find out that Stansfield's like under observation. But again, this is like at NASA, and he's run a lot of missions. So I'm going to guess that him being um, a subject of constant observation is not unusual to him. Um, just because like they talked about how he's done a lot of space missions, so I'm sure his very well being and mental like um, composure has been constantly watched, like every single minute that he's been, you know, been an astronaut. I guess that's fair, but I just, I don't know. I was kind of thrown no, off. No, it's way. weird. It was, it was like, it's like, <laughs> hey, I, I, hey, I, like, welcome. Um, I know you're interviewing for the job. Just to let you know, um, we've been monitoring all your movements for the last six months, and we have questions. Like, what? Okay. Like, yeah. what's your underwear size? <laughs> yeah, um, it's important to the job. Just fine. Just whatever. Hey, how do you feel about boxes? Like, they'll, they'll come in later. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, 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 he's, um, uh, the doctor is telling him about this this secret mission and how they've been observing him and how they feel like that he's perfect for the mission. Yeah. And, Cause they, uh, they, they identify like you get the notion that in this current place in time, whenever this is taking place, it's somewhere in the eighties, right? Cause we, we can tell, uh, cause of all the, the updated fashion and it being in color, that's not true at all. Um, that we've been to like every planet in our solar system, but there's been nothing there for us, which I feel like that's kind of like a slap against all those planets. Like just because they don't have anything for us doesn't mean they're not of quality Bixler. Like don't, don't plant shade them. They're just, they're just doing their stuff, you know, whatever. Uh, and then he, then he points on this one star map. He's like, we believe that this one area out here in the, like it's a gajillion bajillion miles away. We believe there's a similar system out there that has a, like a, a star with planets that orbit the same way. And we, we think there might be life there. So how about we put you in a projectile and shoot you at it? And it's going to take a long time to get there. And Stansfield's like, I'm in. Yeah. That, he was sold pretty quick. I. Uh, I, I just like on the assumption too, like we have a magic eight ball and we shook it and it told us that it's possible. Yeah. It's like, it's, is- just, it's an outlook, outlook clear. And you're like, okay, great. Let's just do it. It's fine. It's like the eight ball says we're go. Yeah. So I, yeah. And obviously, you know, this, he, he's loving what he's hearing. So he's like, sure. 141 light years away. Let's do it. That's, you know, whatever. I, Drop I in do, the bucket. I do like the um, the characterization of Stanfield that, like, he is kind of like, all right, that's the mission. Let's do it. Like, there's, like, I mean, I get that the whole thing is that there's not supposed to be hesitation on his part, but I like that, like, he's just like, give me the parameters. Let's just do this. Like, that, that, character that character could have been taken a couple of different directions. I was kind of, I appreciate that it's like, I'm a professional. This is what you want me to do. I understand the sacrifice. Let's just, let's just do it. And it's like very matter of fact, like that's, that's a little refreshing for a story like this. Yeah. And I, the, it paints an image of like who he is outside of the, the astronaut world. Like he more than likely doesn't have a wife. This is the assumptions that you have to make in the first like minute of this, uh, of this episode that he has nobody he's connected to. He doesn't have a family or anything like that. Like, 
when he makes this commitment to this mission, like no hobbies, (laughs) yeah, no no hobbies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, he's like, my model trains are like, they'll be fine. We'll put them in storage for you. Like, thanks. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, so it's like, so when he goes on what they, they're also saying that the journey is actually going to take 40 years, like round trip. Um, it's not going to, it's not going to derail anything in his life to do so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he can reschedule a few meetings if he needs to. But they're giving him six months lead time because they want they the the Bixler made it important to to let him know like as we build this this ship, we want you to witness everything that goes into it because this is going to be your like once you're out like out in the dark, there's there, you know you have to be the one to handle this stuff, right? Which we don't really get a whole lot of that in the episode. But again, this thing's only like 27 minutes. Um, but I like that there's that 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 front loading of like, yeah, we're doing this right now, but we want you involved at like this level because we need you to understand like completely what's going on. So that sets the, that sets the clock ticking of his six months before he goes up. And then that's when we keep getting like the flashbacks of he's already in the ship in the box. Oh, they also talk about the suspended animation portion too, saying, um, you have only aged a couple weeks, but the world will have moved on 40 years. Right. And so I, and I like that they did say that he needs to be a little bit more integral to the, the building of the ship. And that I think that gives him a lot more uh, respect as as a, an astronaut too. like, hey, you're you're not just the guy you're going to be the guy who's going to be a part of this entire um, mission from beginning to end. And I like that they did that. I like that they approached it in that way, too. Yeah, and I like that, that that he was being Bixler was very upfront about the science of suspended animation, where it's like we believe this is going to work, and he's like, "Okay, I'm in." Like, oh well, okay. I mean, it took more convincing for you know the one uh, doctor to give his brother that you know reverse aging serum, you know that we just saw a couple episodes ago. But Stansfield's like, "Oh, uh, carbonite, whatever. Let's just do it. It's fine. I'm fine." Yeah, it worked for Han. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, after our commercial break, we get, uh, another intro and, uh, we see, uh, Sandra walking in the, into the scene and she has a bunch of paperwork that she ends up dropping onto the ground and Doug comes over and helps her pick it all up. And this is the first time that they're meeting, but she's been a part of this team, this research team, whatever. And she knows who he is to her. Uh, Doug's actually like a rock star and she's a big fan of his. Yeah. I first, I would put my notes here. Oh no, I dropped my science. That's what it looked like happened to her. And then, and then it's like, then he goes to help her. And I, I wrote here in my notes as well. I was like, did Rod just invent the meat cute? That felt like a meat cute. I don't know what that means. Oh, well, okay. It's where you have like that, that one unusual circumstance where the two, like the two romantic leads meet and it's kind of like, Oh, I dropped this. And then they're both reaching for the same thing. Like it's, it's a staple of like romantic comedies, like the meat cute. Oh, okay. I, I get what you're saying now. Uh, this see, you're teaching me things every time, man. I appreciate this. Well, stuff. Like to, to take, to, to take you a step back, um, that episode that we saw of the new twilight zone in season two, what was it? Um, Oh, the Topher Grace episode. What was that called? Try, try. Yeah. Uh, even though he did the thing of like saving the girl from like the, the car crash, he keeps like preying upon the meat cute idea the entire time with her. If you know, it's like, Oh, let me get your ticket. It's okay. And then he keeps bumping into her throughout the whole like museum. That was kind of setting up like that, that you're supposed to feel that like, romantic comedy vibe through all that. So that's kind of like the meat cute. 
That's interesting. I, apparently, I had one with my wife, and it didn't work out well when we first met. Oh. She thought I was a she thought I was a dick when I we first met. So. <laughs> but, but okay, okay, please. What happened? I need to know what happened. <laughs> All right. So to keep it brief, um, we both used to work at Spencer's Gifts back in the day, and uh, I was a uh, just promoted to third key, and so I had a chip on my shoulder. I had to make sure that the new employees knew that. I wasn't one to be, you know, like goad soft on them or anything like that. Um, I was there to like actually be a good manager. And this, the first time I walk in, uh, I see Kat come up for her first shift, <laughs> and um, she she doesn't know where something is in the store. And I overheard the customer ask, and I, I guess gruffly, I said, "They're over there," and I pointed to a section. And I said, "I'm your new manager." And then walked away. <laughs> oh, oh, wow! You're right. That is a. Uh, that is not a. Uh, I don't. I don't know. That's that's a. Uh, I mean, that is that's something. I also like the idea that whatever the person was looking for was like the the like the weird like bridal party sex novelties. You're like, yeah, this it's over there by all the wangs. I'm your new manager, and like. <laughs> I, I will have to say though, I I must be I must have been playing the long game because I am married to her now. So that's fair. Up? Like, and, and I missed the part of your vows where you're just like, "I'm your manager." Like, <laughs> oh man, uh, I that's that's amazing. I just uh, if only there had been some science dropped, that would have been perfect. But yeah. Um, but okay. So, so when that first happened though, like, did you offer your hand to say hello? And then did you take your other hand and then place it awkwardly over top of her hand for what seems to be seven years and kept talking to her? Cause that happened this episode and that was weird. I wasn't that kind of manager. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> No, I, I, yeah, it is a very awkward moment oh. uh, that happens in this episode. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. Did, like, I don't did like you people touching me. When she put so. her hand away, he held his hands in that position for like a minute longer too. Like, I don't know. It was just awkward as all get out. Like, other than like, I, I know I just talked about how um, you that I think Robert Lansing has just a smooth voice, and these two do have like screen chemistry. But my gosh, that was awkward as all get out. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I if I was if I was um, Sandra in this scene, I would have been like, I mean, you might be cool and everything, and I just probably just uh, fed into your ego big time by telling you I'm your biggest fan. But don't touch my hands, <laughs> like back yeah, not up like off that. Me. Oh my gosh, that was creepy. But yeah, like so he um, like immediately like you know says, hey, uh, we should have a date, and she's like, oh okay. So that that's pretty much like there was an ESP gag earlier where he says something that he could read her mind and. She's like, okay, well, what's my name? And he says her name and she's like, what? And she realizes she has her name tag on, you know, that that's cute, you know, whatever. But then the hand thing happens, which is way weird. And I wonder, I wonder how Rod wrote that on the page, you know, like he caresses her hand. And then I'm sure that like in, in the, ep the episode, they're like, Hey, can we make this like really creepy? And it's like, I got something for you guys. Yeah. And I, they, uh, I just have to say this too. They fall for each other really quick man <laughs> like extremely fast yeah i mean so there's this like you mentioned the structure of this episode it's a lot of flashing back 
uh, to their and the two Stansfield ways on earth. And then to him and, and the, you know, the, 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 you know, the freezer chest or whatever it is. And, um, uh, you know, in the space tube that he's now going towards wherever it is, but yeah, right. So like they have dinner, like he's going to go pick her up at eight or whatever. And then she also says the word astronaut in the weirdest way ever. Just stay tuned. Everybody you're going to hear at the end. Um, but then we get this, like, this flashback where like they're like dancing and then like you get this notion that like they're deeply in love and I'm like, Oh, well, okay. I get it. Like he has six months to, you know, to get ready for this mission. Of course they're going to develop this long relationship. No, 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 no. That flashback is to later that night where she's like, we've only known each other for three and a half hours. I'm like, Whoa, like I know Tinder wasn't a thing then, but that still seems kind of fast. I, for real. I, I mean, I just, that was like probably the most unbelievable thing to me. Well, all right, second most unbelievable thing to this to this episode. I'll talk about what the other thing is in a moment. But I'm just like, I don't know. I've never met somebody and had that quick of chemistry. I mean, even like meeting people at the bar um, and buying them a drink. I've done something for them. I've bought them a drink. I still don't get those kinds of reactions from people. Like, like no one's that enthralled by my company. But maybe maybe Doug's a really cool dude. I'm your manager. You know what I mean. Um, I don't know, man. I thought you and I hit it off pretty quickly. We met. I, I don't even, I honestly, I don't remember the very first time we met. I, if, if, unless it involved awkward handholding and then it's never been the same sense in a good way. Well, it didn't start off like that, but oh, it definitely okay. ended like that at that <laughs> night. <laughs> awkward handholding. Yep. Um, and, and, and constant eye contact, but whatever. Played, yeah. We played patty cake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they're in love like immediately, right? Like it's it's what's going on, and like if you if, you know if you're if you're him, like you have, I don't know, you have the best you have the best reason to be like, yeah, I got a lot of things going on, type, you know, like I got this forty year mission thing. I don't know if I'm gonna be back around, like you know, let's not let's not overthink this one. But no, he's he's in too. Like they're both madly in love with each other after three and a half hours. And this feel like it feels almost like the 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 war story thing where it's like yeah I'm going off to war I don't know if I'll ever I'll be able to come back baby you know it feels like that and I guess that could be a point a point of motive for Doug as well it's like yeah he's probably not going to be able to see a chick for forty years or whatever like if this mission goes the way it's supposed to he's not going to be back on Earth for forty years. So. Yeah. Um, and so they, they even talk about that, like, uh, um, you know, the notion that she'll be, um, you know, a little old lady at the Shaw and, all, you know, they, so they, they, they talk about the reality of the situation. Right. So there is that. Um, but I will also say as, as much fun as we've had with some of the awkwardness here, uh, like, I think Rod Serling is amazing at writing soliloquies, right? Like these with these voiceovers, like you got this guy in this box. So you're, you're, you're hearing his thoughts about what's going on. Like, you know, now versus like in this flashback. So he even kind of admits, like, even in this animation, I still see things. I think of her and like, this is where, um, Serling's like purple prose really blossoms when you have this moment, just to let a character kind of exist and talk. Um, and I, I appreciate all of it, but in terms of like talking about it from an episode standpoint, there's not a lot of action. It's just, it's just, um, motivation and character, which again, not a bad thing. Uh, it is a lot to drink in. It's just that, you know, sometimes you want things to pick up a little bit and 
this one was very uh, measured. And I think Rod, you know, he knew where he was going to go with this the entire time. So, you know, I guess shame on me for wanting just a little bit more pep in this one. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And it, but it, it's like, it's nice that they were able to have uh, the monologue from Doug uh, while he's, you know, in this hibernation mode because it is, is able, they're able to make the character breathe that much more and uh, give more substance to the episode and give substance to what his, his motives are, which we're going to be talking about here in a moment. And I like that he did that uh, for the character instead of just looking at the box and then doing flashbacks and then like doing like weird face move face movements or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like he's sleeping or whatever. Right. Like, um, so, so we get this as he's like, you know, thinking about how he's like, you know, I've imagined her every moment in her voice and you get like this, uh, weird, like, um, like crossfade overlay of her face over his face. Um, and I just, I wrote, I wrote here as like, if only Stansfield had a, some kind of ring a ding ring that he could have looked at and had that face just talk to him. That would have probably solved a lot, right? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I don't know. But it sets up one of the weirder commercial breaks I think I've ever seen in this series where it's just him thinking about her and it's like this, this shot of her face and then it just cuts to black. I'm like, that that's an awkward moment to cut the story. Very. Yeah. The, I, the overlaying was kind of strange to me. I didn't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, did, I thought that was a very weird choice for, um, for the, the shot. Yeah, so we get back. I I, I, was, I think I, I wrote a line here of like, I loved you very much. And then I added for three and a half hours. Um, but we find out that there was a, a communication malfunction shortly after he took off. And so uh, we're getting this sent to like the two guys on the ground that are getting communications back from um, Stanfield's uh, rocket because he's coming back. Uh, but they've had like, intermittent communication, but not much. And then there was the note in the file that the one gentleman found that Bixler was like, you need to find this woman um, when he comes back. And I just, that was funny because the underlings like, where are we going to find her at an old person's home? So, yeah. yeah. But uh, the realization though, is that uh, she went into a hibernation chamber. So it's, uh, she, she uh, weighed out the options and she's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do the same thing for, Doug and I'm going to be youthful when he comes back. Yeah. So then we find out though. Okay. So he returns, but before we see him, which this very much mirrors that episode, a short drink from a certain fountain just a couple weeks ago, uh, where we have the one guy talking to one of our you know, main characters of like, Hey, uh, before you see him, we, I need to talk to you. There's, there's something you need to be aware of. And she's like, what, what, what? And it's like, Oh, um, he, his communications malfunctioned shortly after takeoff. And then basically we learned that like he purposefully, um, like stopped the animation process, uh, for 40 years because he didn't like the idea of coming back young with Sandra being old. So he was going to age the 40 years and loneliness and then like the darkness of space and come back to find the one woman he's only loved for 3.5 hours. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I, Doug's a ballsy dude because, uh, I don't know if I could have stood, uh, stood that test of time, you know, 40 years by myself. Like, I mean, no books, no clothes. Like what are you, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, no so, TV. 
So this is the what I was alluding to earlier, the most unbelievable part of this episode. So they set this ship up for him to be in suspended animation in this hibernation mode. So he's got he's probably got some food like a tube into him or something like that. Probably doesn't even need to eat because of the hyper, like the way that the the constructs of the hibernation mode are. What's he going to do for 40 years? Is there is there a place to take a dump in this thing? I mean, like seriously, <laughs> there's some real questions I have to ask here. The scientists built this ship for a particular type of passenger. He is not that passenger anymore. That's fair. Um, so there was in my reading uh, in the research that there was actually like an additional scene uh, written that wasn't shot where it showed Stanfield openly getting out of like uh, the coffin to actually do like daily maintenance. Um, and he, you know, they even reference like the food stores and everything else. So, or not daily maintenance, but like routine maintenance, I should say. Uh, and then he even says at some point, he's like, you know, I, like basically screw this and like breaks the, the glass to keep it, you know, from him, like going back to hibernation. He's like, I'll sleep what I want to sleep, you know? Um, which I think would have answered some of your questions, but I think it would have stepped on this episode's ending pretty greatly. I guess that's fair. And I, you know, they were looking for the, the wow factor at the end of this episode, which, you know, we'll talk about that, but it's like, <laughs> it just, it, I don't know. It, it, it kind of irked me once we got to this reveal. I was like, okay, now, now I have bigger questions than this episode ever wanted to try to, um, like give you any answers for, or even had time to try to give you answers for. I, I don't know. It just no, it pissed me off. <laughs> no, it is frustrating, right? Because then, so we find out that he purposely you know, was aging. And then also we like, we're not even talking about the psychological effects of being by yourself for 40 years. Right. Anyway, like aside from the, you know, sustainable, all that stuff. Um, so when she sees him, he is now aged 40 years. Um, so he's in his seventies. She's still like her mid twenties. Um, and then, you know, we get this, this moment of where, you know, she looks shocked, but, um, She's like, well, you know, like we can still make it work. And he was like, no, it's 40 years is too long. It's too long. Basically being like, you know, I, I thought of you every single day uh, and I painted you in my mind multiple times, whatever. It's like he's heartbroken that she now has youth and he doesn't. Um, and he's not in a place to where she, like, it's not fair to her is kind of how I feel about it for him. And he knows that the stronger thing to do is to to send her on her way, even though she made the commitment of 40 years of spin animation. And I don't know, her life is going to have to start over again in significant ways as well. I know. I, and she seemed to have taken it pretty, uh, pretty cool. Like, all right, fine. Like, uh, peace. I mean, I, had to, I, I mean, she's obviously the winner in a sense, because now she still has like a very young body. And now she got, she's got shiny clothes too to show it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the future. You know, I'd like to think that that's actually why Doug was pissed. He like saw her in the shiny dress. He's like, just can't do it. Nope. I don't like it. Nope. You've, you've changed too much in the, in the, 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 the two weeks before you went into the animation. So, I mean like, and she just coolly walks away. And it's like, that's, that's it. Like, that's all like, well, we have all the, of this. Yeah. We have the, uh, the other guy there being like, Oh man, like basically like, he's trying to like praise Doug for being like, Oh, this for love and to walk away from it. I, I want to, if I was Doug, I've been like, 
shut up, dick. I know what I just did. Just calm down. Like, you know, I might have been gone from this earth for 40 years, but I wasn't born yesterday, you idiot. You know, whatever. Um, and that's it. He just shuffles off, which also credit to um, to our lead here, uh, Robert Lansing. Though I don't, I don't really buy the old age makeup. It's a little, it's not the best. He gives his performances a little bit more, um, a little bit more infirm. If you see him, right? Like there's a little bit of a shake to him and he's a little bit slouched. He doesn't have the same swagger. So credit that he gets that across. So I like, I didn't mind that, but you're right. The resolution is, is that, Oh, I made the decision to go in space and I actively chose to age to meet you when you'd be older. And Oh, I actively made the choice to stay in space animation. So I could be young when you come home young. Um, whenever, uh, people like called this out as being a take on the gift of the Magi. Serling was like, yeah, that's it, what it is. And that's always like, um, that's all, that's always like the king of like, uh, or like one of the earliest like twist stories where it's like, Oh, both parties are trying to do the best for each other. And they inadvertently, um, not made it worse, but didn't make it any better. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, probably the the best synopsis of like what was going on here it did no one made it better for each other maybe there should have been a little bit of communication i don't know it's <laughs> just me i don't know if communication was limited like they should have been like you know uh you know sos uh you know your your side piece is still on earth uh being young um like hold off on you should close that lid buddy you know whatever right yeah it's, i i don't know like i i, I get why certain choices were made, but then there's too many other questions that came along with it. Sorry if there was a noise there that just happened. No, um, that's okay. Like I know you're coming out of spin animation, so that's uh, fair. Bloop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yep, that's what we got. That was the end of our, <laughs> that's what we got. Yep. Yeah. That's, that, that was our episode. Um, <laughs> so when I say this felt like a season one episode, not only because of the director and certainly writing it and just having a little bit more gravity to it and having more of a, a little bit more of a bummer ending, like not like, I mean, it's a, it's a heartbreaker, like take away all the science side of this and some of the motivation. It is a sad story. Right. Um, and it's supposed to be kind of moving and effective. I, I don't know if it is all that, but that feels much more in tone with the first season of the twilight zone where Serling was all about like challenging people. But then he would get like equal letters, like equal amounts of letters, people being like, I love this kind of like, ambiguity and like, you know, things aren't always going to be great. And other people write in and be like, what, why is everything a downer? So they had to kind of start trying to split the difference a little bit because CBS was kind of looking over the shoulder and being like, Hey Rod, why, why are you bum people out so much? This feels like this would have belonged in season one. Um, it probably, probably would have been a little tighter and a little bit more sad had it been like presented at that time. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I can see what you're talking about. Like uh, fitting a little bit more, in the season one category, like for what was presented and how the storytelling was happening. I, 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 I don't know. It, it, it is nice to see a little change in um, tempo here because the last couple episodes have been, they're kind of, I don't know. They're sad. They're pretty sad episodes. I don't know. I, as much fun as we had talking about them, the viewer, you know, I'm sure was just like, wow. Um, so there was that episode, and I still feel like shit after watching the news <laughs> and watching the Twilight Zone. 
Yeah, like a two-day-old uh, Jeff Bezos was disappointed with this. No. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair, but I feel like the episode we just watched with, like, you know, at least there was a sense of justice with the car dropping off uh, Ollie, you know, and, and all that. It's like there is still, like, something to be had here, and it's like this one's – this one – the groundingness and the human emotion, I think, is what – carries a little further not much a little further than like the things we've been watching recently i'm not saying it's great i just you know it, i can i can see what sterling was going for um i think this deserved like another pass or two to really kind of like hone in on what was good about it and also like with the flashbacks flashbacks can exist um clearly we're going back to a specific point in time what if like, you know, what if we had like them being like, oh, it's six months later and now he has to go. And then what if like, as he's about to be like, hey, I gotta go on this rocker for 40 years. She's like, oh, I'm pregnant. And then it's like, oh shit. And then like when he comes back, maybe, maybe he meets his uh, 40 year old son he's never met before or something. You know, I don't know. You have options here. I'm glad you didn't go for the, the, the old boy reference where he, he meets a, like a daughter when it comes out and then, oh, you know, hooks up. <laughs> oh, well, here, here's an admission. I've never seen old boy. <laughs> uh, I know, I know, I know it's, it's a <laughs> it's huge, huge black mark on my uh, watching here. But, um, yeah, I'll, if it, if it's anything like the long morrow, well now, now it's been ruined for me. I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, do we have any other notes about the episode? So I have a little bit of like, uh, trivia about our, our female lead here and her connection to Serling. Uh, hit me with it. Okay. So uh, this is from Mary Hartley. She said, I was the head of a drama club at uh, Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut. It seemed everyone at the school had seen Requiem for Heavyweight, which was Rod Serling's uh, Playhouse 90 script. So I decided to write to him and see if he would be interested in coming to our club and talk about television drama. And he did. What a great time to live in. Uh, he came to the school and boy, was I the shining star for that week. I'll tell you. And oh yes, years later, I was acting professionally and made the move to Hollywood. I was probably one of the last people to be signed to a studio contract at MGM. Uh, of course, I had spent time um, waiting to be told what my next picture was. There was an afternoon I was on the back lot. I cannot recall if Serling was riding an, a limousine or a golf cart. Those are two different size vehicles. Um uh, between sound stages, but I waved and caught his attention. I got him to stop for a moment and introduce myself, and he remembered me. I was bold enough to ask him for a part in the Twilight Zone, and he said there might be an opening and get back to me. You know, so a few of my, she said, a few friends were with me at the time, and I remember them laughing at me for the stunt I pulled, but I showed them, didn't I? Hell yeah, she did. Yeah, that worked out. It's not like he actually, like, just uh, shunned her off, like, yeah, right. Like, I got. I got bigger fish to fry, lady. <laughs> yeah, I got this uh, ring-a-ding thing I'm I'm working on with uh, Hamner. Um, no, I just like I like that she's like, oh, you did this really important uh, piece of TV that got they that got him like a lot of praise and a lot of attention. It's like, hey, could you come to my school and talk? And he's like, sure. And I'm like, when does that happen? When does that ever happen? Like, hey, I really like this. Can you come talk to us? I'll be right there in a minute. You know, and then later on to be like, hey, you talked to my school. Can I have an acting job? Sure. I I love Rod Serling. Yeah, different times too, man. Seriously. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's our trivia there. So it sounds like there was a lot of, a lot of good surrounding the episode, just maybe not the episode proper. So, uh, as, as we do here, um, we need to rate this twist. 
considering that we just saw an episode a couple weeks ago that dealt with like old and young and kind of the reverse of that and like the responsibility, which that one was really heavy handed uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and this one is kind of like a similar kind of beat. Um, I, you know, I'm going to give it a one because I knew the suspended animation was going to um, pay off in a bad way. Uh, I'll give it, I'll give it a three because oh. I didn't, I didn't expect uh, uh, Sandra's character or the, the character of Sandra to do her own hibernation mode. And then it, it backfired in that way. I didn't, I didn't expect that. It's not a huge, huge plot twist, but it was just enough to be like, Oh, okay. I like what you did there. Fair enough. All right. So yeah, I think it's going to do it for our discussion about the long morrow. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I, I, we had a lot of fun talking about that and weird handshakes and where do, um, where do people in space for 40 years, where do they poop? Like they're like, I want to see the schematic of the rocket where it's like, oh, here's the hibernation coffin and here's the poop room. I want to see, I need to see that breakdown because something had to happen, right? Like that's, you know, you can't go that long without something bad having to occur. I'm just going to make sure that I refer to going to the restroom as going to the poop room every time I have to now. <laughs> like, I need to find the poop room. Yeah, I'd be like, everybody, I got to, I got to take a long morrow. I can where, where's the, where's the poop room? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh my goodness all right so yeah that's gonna do it for this episode you guys can find us on strange highways on facebook we're getting a lot of people liking um the 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 page and liking the 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 images we put up so that's a lot of fun we like the interaction you can email us directly at strange highways podcast at gmail.com let us know your thoughts about this episode or other episodes uh we love the feedback and wherever you find your podcast rate and review us be greatly appreciated and terry how how else can people find us all right so folks I've been saying it left to right. We are on Instagram these days. You might be new to the uh, to our show, so welcome. Thank you for coming, and thank you for staying as long as you did. Because you know some of our jokes probably don't land as well as we think that they are in our heads, but we're doing a damn good job, I think. But yeah, so check us out on Instagram. We are Strange Highways Podcast, and we're posting as often as we possibly could. We're both working; we still do our normal everyday jobs, but we're going to hit you up on there and we're going to give you some fun stuff to look at uh, try to be a little bit more engaging here hopefully soon with other things as well but uh yeah welcome in yeah I and mean, i'll just point out here that you know if our jokes uh like miss more than they hit uh if we were baseball players and we hit every three out of ten um you know at bats we'd be getting paid a lot of money that's fair yeah that's very fair i like that analogy so I'm, I, if I could just only get three out of 10 jokes to work, I could do that pretty great. I don't know. Anyway, uh, next episode is the self-improvement of Salvador Ross. Um, the length of this name worries me for the episode, but I don't know. Let's, let's certainly introduce it, but which by the way, Terry, what you hear, it sounds like they caught Serling out like outside real quick. I'm like, Hey, you're walking between sets. Can you give us an intro for the show? He's like, sure. Give like three, two, one. And now Mr. Serling. Next time out on the Twilight Zone, an unusual little item from the pen of Jerry McNeely, based on a story by Henry Slazar, and called, intriguingly enough, The Self-Improvement of Salvador Ross. This one poses a question, if you don't like what you are, how do you go about changing? Don Gordon portrays a man who really goes the route when it comes to some basic changing, and the results are most unexpected. And now I have to get into a limousine and or a golf cart and drive to the next soundstage.
Yeah, he was, I felt like he was probably waiting at a bus stop or something. <laughs> I could hear the traffic in the background. That's, and like, if you actually see the footage, he's holding a pair of sunglasses in his hand. It's like, did they just like, hey, we can't get you on the soundstage. He's like, good enough. <laughs> like, you know, whatever. All right. So that's going to be next week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, you know, um, I would just say if you're, if you're hanging out with people, maybe give it more than a three and a half hours to determine if you're soulmates or not. Just that's just a pro tip. Just, you know, just leave it out there. And don't give up on somebody who never gave up on you. Arrivederci, lady from the space agency. At eight o'clock. Astronaut. <laughs>